Welcome back to another episode of the Startup Therapy Podcast. This is Ryan Rutan, joined, as always, by Will Schroeder, my friend and the founder and CEO of Startups.com. Will, we have said no less than a dozen times on this show that starting a startup is kind of like running naked into the abyss, and that there's a lot of things that we don't know and a lot of things that we're scared of, and as we learn more about it, that tends not to improve. We learn that we know even less than we thought and that we're probably not cut out for this inter-imposter syndrome, right? We've all heard of this. We've all experienced it. I'm 20-something years into my journey with imposter syndrome. When does it go away? When when does this end? Well, let's see. I'm, I'm 30 years to the day into this, and uh, it hasn't gone away for me. Oh, I was, I was hoping you were like, yeah, so eight years ago, it was over. No, so it, it just keeps going. <laughs> yeah. you know, perpetual. No, it's amazing. Like, how is it that we've been doing it this long? And that feeling never goes away. And here's the best part, just you know, as people are listening, keep this in context. We do this for a living, right? Yes. Like we help people start companies for a living. You kind of sort of couldn't possibly know more than we know, not because we're so smart or we're so, it's just all we do. Yep. Right. I mean, <laughs> it's this is all what we, we do. do all day long, right? We're about to celebrate our 11th year of doing nothing but this night and day with helping founders. My only point is, again, not back to why Ryan and I are so great. It's just there's nothing else that we do but sit around and learn how to become better founders. And it still hasn't gone away. <laughs> no, it has so, not. In fact, I don't know if this happens to you too, but like I now have a secondary benefit from all of this called imposter syndrome by proxy, which is where I'm talking to somebody and I realize that they don't know as much as they think they know. And I'm like, oh my goodness, <laughs> this is, and you have to not react, right? Because we all start that way, right? We all start having no idea what the rules of the game are, what the positions are, how to play any of it. We don't know anything. And then when you're in front of somebody who does know just even a little bit more, they can see it, right? But it's our job as founder mentors, as advisors to not come out with that immediately. Like, oh, wow, there's a lot you don't know. No shit. Like, there's always a lot we don't know. I definitely have felt that a few times lately where it's like, oh, wow, I hope, I, hope they, I hope they pull out of this, right? I hope they, <laughs> hope they make this work. Uh, there are some major <laughs> deficits right now. So yeah, founder syndrome by proxy. Here's what'd be interesting. I, th I think today for the folks listening, if we were to go through the entire business of being a founder from the early days when you're just having the idea and you're kind of leaving your cubicle, so to speak, to the later days long past after you've exited and you're old and grizzled like we are now, like at what point, how does it change? What changes? And I think what's valuable to hear this, especially if you're early in your career, is it takes some pressure off. It takes some pressure off. But we just say, ah, it never gets better. Then you'll look at that and say, well, okay, I can't do much with that. Yeah. Yeah, that's not what we're saying. We're not saying it never, it never, it never gets better. We're saying it never really fully goes away, right? Yeah. Your relationship with it will change just like being in debt, right? Eventually you get used to that too. Yeah. <laughs> so let's start off with the absolute beginning, kind of our freshman year for all of us, what that looks like kind of, you know, emotionally where we're going. And, and I want to paint a quick picture for the audience as to a very specific moment where I can remember my freshman year boiled down to a moment. Starting this first company, I'm about like a year or so into it. I'm very much a, I think like a sophomore in college on my way to dropping out, what have you. And I get called to go into an investor meeting of a venture capital firm, of which I had never heard of. I didn't, I had no idea what venture capital was. This is like almost sort of pre-internet. You couldn't Google it. No one had any, people didn't even know what an entrepreneur was. The whole other story. Anyway, so I go into this meeting. And there's these old guys that are grilling me on like, you know, what is your IRR over five years? And I have no idea what they're talking about. Like, I've never heard any of these terms. 
So I get asked by who's now a friend of mine. He was like a consultant and he, he was really grilling me hard. And I get asked for a pro forma income statement. Now I'll never forget being asked for that document because I had no idea what any of those words meant. Right. Yeah. Yep. That's a great feeling, isn't it? That's a great feeling. My future hinges on this question and I don't yeah, understand yeah. the words, let alone have an answer for it. No idea. And so he's like, hey, do you have a pro forma income statement? And I remember saying something to the nah. effect of it. I, I, I was like, listen, and I heard income. So I thought that like, I thought it meant like, am I having what essentially would be receivables or something, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said something to the effect of, well, I know what that is, but do you know what it is? <laughs> like, like said, he was like, and, and I didn't say it in exact those words, but I was kind of just like, will you please explain it to me? It took him 0.01 seconds to understand that I had no idea what he was talking about. So he spells it out to me like I'm a caveman, like I'm a child. He's like, do you have a document that explains where all your money comes Uh, from uh, uh. and where it all goes? I was like, oh, yeah. I'm like, what kind of operation do you think I'm running? He's like, can we see it? I'm like, got you, bro. I turn around. I grab my like 286 laptop, if there was even such a thing. And I show him a Word document that basically lists, it's like a half a page of a single page that basically lists all the places where I owe money at present. I owe my roommate $250 for rent. (laughs) (laughs) That's exactly what they wanted to see. You nailed it. It was so classic. Perfect, Will. And I'm presenting it as if I'm Steve Jobs presenting the iPhone. I'm like, there it is, buddy, right? Full confidence, not because I thought I knew what I was doing, just because I thought I actually understood what he was saying. And I was so proud of myself for being like, there it is, your pro dorma income maintenance. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I no idea what he's talking about. Oh my God. And so he does not let it go. That's the best part. It's not like he was like, oh, hey, that's not a thing. He's literally like, you know that scene in Zoolander where he looks at the Derek Zoolander school for kids that can't read good or whatever it is. And he's like, what is this? A school for ants? <laughs> he looks at this document. He's like, what is this? And I'm like, I, uh. I don't know. That was my starting point. If I could boil it down to a moment, that was my starting point. Do you remember how that meeting ended? Oh, they were like, we need to give you at least $100 million. Or they said, get the fuck out. It was one of the two. I one or the other, yeah. <laughs> oh, I amazing. can't remember, but... Amazing. There's so many of those moments early on, though. I could probably spend the next two hours just regaling you with all of those moments where I learned that I had something to learn in the moment where I already needed to have learned it, right? And that just, that becomes part of the founder journey. Like you just realize that kind of is the cadence, right? At some point, we said earlier, you know, it doesn't go away, but your relationship with it changes, right? Every time after about, I don't know, eight years, I started to embrace those things where it was like, when I heard a question I didn't know the answer to, I was like, ah, here's a new secret piece of knowledge that I can unlock. Here's something I need to know. But boy, that is not where that starts, right? That is not how you feel. (laughs) The first time you get called out, I remember, and you'll, you'll relate to this. We were teaching people what the internet was, right? We were teaching people what the internet was. We were walking into rooms and explaining what the internet was and then why it mattered to their giant business, right? And they had no concept of any of this stuff. And I was so used to being able to just talk circles around people. They had no idea. I was quite literally talking to the completely uninformed, the entirely ignorant, smart people who just had no idea about any of this stuff. And so it was just this great dog and pony show until the day they invited somebody who had more knowledge in a particular category than I had into the room who started asking me questions. 
boy, that got uncomfortable really, really quickly. So yeah, how would you code this? And another one like, so I deflected it, but like, I remember when that question got asked and I was like, this asshole thinks I'm about to write code up on a whiteboard <laughs> and I actually don't know how to do what he's asking. But if you remember, well, like that kind of was the way it worked back then. You would just say yeah. yes. And then you would go figure it out. You're like, can you do this with HTML yep. code? Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. You go back to the make team, like, can we do this? And they're like, not yet, but we'll figure it out. Right. But so in that moment, he asked this and, and I deflected, I said something along the lines of like, look, I, nobody wants to sit and watch me code up here on the whiteboard. Yeah, we can do that. I gave some like a flippant excuse for why I didn't want to cover it in that moment. But man, there's so many of those and it just, it's so stressful anyways, right? You're in there, you're pitching, you're trying to win business, you want to do well. And then you have the sensation of, you ever been flying and just been handed like your cocktail or your cup of coffee by the flight attendant? When like you drop about a hundred feet without any warning, like no, it's just all of a sudden like everything, the floor falls out of underneath you. That was the sensation I had every time. I just remember like this feeling of free fall that would last anywhere from 30 seconds to several weeks, depending on what the outcome was. And man, it's so tough because you just constantly put in a position where you feel, or more specifically, you're told you're not good enough. You don't know enough. You can't do this. And that's, that is tough to deal with on a regular basis, right? Like hearing that once or twice in a lifetime is enough. Hearing that every time you walk into a meeting, ah, it's brutal. But let's talk about where this all comes from, okay? And we've talked about this before in previous episodes. When we're building a startup, and this is anyone, regardless of what your stage is, we're building on an idea or concept that likely has never been built before, so nothing but variables. We're taking it into a market that's never been proven before or may not even exist. May not even exist. That's important, right? So we don't yeah. know. Yeah. And we're doing it with a team that's never worked together before that <laughs> all got here five seconds ago that also probably doesn't know what the hell they're doing. And right? somehow we think it'd be a good idea to go and ask people to give us their money to do these yeah. things, right? <laughs> God, the nerve. Incredible, right? The, the nerve. nerve. And so... Now, when people are like, hey, you know, I'm not feeling good about myself, et cetera, think about how you've just jumped into nothing but variables. Ryan, prior to the show, we were talking about how a lot of this is like being your freshman year, how it's like learning to play soccer for the first time. Now imagine you go in, you go on the field, and there's a crowd, there's intensity, and there's stakes, but no one tells you the rules. No one tells you how to score points. No one tells you who's on your team or not on your team or how long this will ever end. Wait, are you describing startups, marriage, or parenthood right now? <laughs> oh, well played, sir. Oh. Well played. <laughs> and, 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 but that's essentially what we're going into. Now, the imposter syndrome comes from trying to wonder why we don't feel good when we're sitting on nothing but variables, while we don't feel certain in a world of variables. And I think that's where things start to get interesting. That's where this imposter syndrome starts. Now, if that's not enough, if that's not enough. But wait, there's more a whole bunch more stuff, right? You're now the CEO, you're the founder of a company. You are now required to understand finance, marketing, technology, maybe distribution, HR. maybe 20, All HR, high, yep. everything, right? Maybe 20 other skills, most of which you've actually never heard of but you need to be proficient at all of them immediately because you have no money so you can't hire people to do any of those things <laughs> yep some yep. of these things are your lifeblood you've now let's say hired a few people and now you have to make payroll 
Why would you understand how payroll works? You've never done it. I just had this this morning. I I was on a call with the founder this morning who continued to apologize for like three, four minutes that they didn't understand anything about the fundraising process. And I kept trying to ask them, like, why would you? What in your career or your life up until now, other than a party trick that no one would have wanted to experience, would that have been useful for? Were you raising funds ever in your past and you've forgotten? Because that would be weird. But- if you haven't ever done this before, you shouldn't know. And that's so true of so, so many things in startup land. Yeah, and it's exacerbated because unlike other things in life, like I don't know how to cook, right? I am terrible at it. I can barely keep I, a pop can attest life. to this. I can yes. attest to this. <laughs> that's why I would invite you guys over to come to my house t- to cook for me. But it's something I can get by, right? I can make a sandwich. I can do whatever. Yeah. But all of a sudden. Uber Eats. There's a way around it. Right. But imagine all of a sudden I have to do that. You know, I'm left in the wild, so to speak, and I have to do it very different. That's essentially what happens when we start a company. All the things we could have had somebody else worry about, there are problems now. And they're kind of sort of life and death consequences (laughs) if we don't get them right. Whether it's fundraising or managing payroll, whether it's doing customer acquisitions, we have any, you know, revenue at all. Before we give the entire audience like full cardiac arrest, you have to get it, you have to get it somewhat right okay like it doesn't have to be perfect because we see we see founders run into this too where they're like they get so paralyzed by the fear that they're making the wrong decision they make no decision and that's just as bad right we become so scared and so overwhelmed by imposter syndrome that we don't act at all that's horrible so we got to get it kind of right or we got to get it wrong so that we can realize we got it wrong so then we can go and get it right now you get a lot of shots here there's like I, how many strikes do we get in startups like 784 yeah <laughs> And then the other side of it is while this is happening, while we're so caught off guard and and we're so blown up with all these different things that we don't know, then we see another founder on Twitter or we see another founder at a party or on social media or something, and they're talking about how much they're killing it. And we're thinking to ourselves, wait, wait, they're killing it? I don't even, I, I don't know what the hell a pro forma is. How are they killing it? In our minds, we perceive that to mean they must know all of these things that that I don't know and or be better and more proficient at them. I mean, take it a layer deeper. They may also be wrong. Remember, in your (laughs) mind, when you handed over that Word document of your pro dorma, you thought you were killing it in that moment. So just because you hear somebody say they're killing it does not necessarily mean they're killing it, especially if they only manage to tell you they're killing it for the length of an Instagram post. Okay, be really careful about buying into any of this shit. You know, something that's really funny about everything we talk about here is that none of it is new. Everything you're dealing with right now has been done a thousand times before you, which means the answer already exists. You may just not know it, but that's okay. That's kind of what we're here to do. We talk about this stuff on the show, but we actually solve these problems all day long at groups.startups.com. So if any of this sounds familiar, Stop guessing about what to do. Let us just give you the answers to the test and be done with it. You bet. And so the problem is we have nothing but negative signals going in. We've got the market we're going into and the the process of starting a startup freaking us out. We've got a whole bunch of things that we need to know or be reasonably proficient in that we've never even heard of. We've got a whole bunch of terminology, you know, like the pro forma right? What's your CAC? What's your LTB? What's your TAM? What's your, and you're like, wait, what? I'll give you, I'll give you a quick example. And I've mentioned this to you before, dude, like 10 years later in my career, after my little pro forma thing, 
I get called by Sequoia to come pitch them for a startup I'm doing. They found me, whatever, they had, they had me out. I ended up at the full partner meeting. And one of the partners there, who incidentally now lives in Columbus, oddly, asks me, I'll never forget this. And I'm like, I'm in the room of the smartest people I've ever met by orders of magnitude, right? Yeah. And I'm sweating bullets because I have no idea what I'm doing. <laughs> I, I, I've never pitched before. Now, I, I haven't pitched for capital. And he asked me, he's like, what's your TAM, your total addressable market? You know, how big your market can actually be for those folks that are listening. And I'm like, what do you think the TAM should be? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm like, I got asked the most basic question in fundraising. And I had no clue. It it, it took them, again, 0.01 seconds to realize like how unqualified I was. It's embarrassing shit. But that's my point. And this is me after 10 years also having had a big success behind me. I still just didn't know that term. I'd never come up before. Didn't matter to me. Why, why would it have? Yeah. Why would it? Right. So all of this stuff, you know, I went into that meeting feeling like, you know, kind of a baller. Like, hey, look what I've done at a young point in my career, et cetera. I walked out of that meeting feeling like I just started, you know, went from 12th grade to first grade. <laughs> like like it was, the ball it boy. was humiliating. Yeah. Yep. Yep. And so yep. But that's where we start. So we all baseline at this kind of funky space. And some of us are better at faking it than others, but we're all full of shit. Yep. You have to be. That's not an indictment. I just want to be clear there. That's not an indictment. We're full of shit because we're going to have to turn that shit into something. That shit becomes the fertilizer of future growth of our startup. Yep. The nature of it. We have to feel very confident about things we couldn't possibly know the answers to. That's the nature of our job. have to go figure it all out. Let's advance a bit. Let's talk about, all oh, right, you know, Will Ryan, we really get the part where I don't know anything. Like that part's pretty well established. But what happens when I start to learn some stuff? What happens, you know, when I've been around for three, five, 10, 30 years? Like that goes away, right? That all burns off, right? Yeah, funny. The more you know, the more you realize you don't know, right? That, that's the, <laughs> as, you, as, you, as your eyes start to become open to entirely new categories and buckets of information that you've never even dipped a toe into, that's tends to be how it goes, right? The middle ground is not necessarily very comfortable, right? In the beginning, you're mostly naive and and ignorant. In the middle ground, you start to become really aware of all of the stuff you don't know. Give me an example for soccer. You're a soccer player. You've been playing for a long time. Uh, So yeah, so for me, it was interesting. So it wasn't even practical knowledge of the game. It was an expanded knowledge of other people who played the game. As an American growing up playing soccer, we didn't have professional soccer to watch. And I wasn't going to get up at four o'clock in the morning to watch Premier League on a friend's satellite who lived an hour away. Like that was literally my only option. I knew one kid who watched soccer. His dad was Greek and they had to, like it was part of their thing. So <laughs> it was it was that, like they would start to reference player names and they would start to talk about, ah, you know, the winner of this World Cup, Network Cup. And I had never been a fan of the game. I had always been a player of the game. And so like they would turn to me like, oh, who's your favorite player? I'm like, Pele. They were like, no, like that plays now. I'm like, Pele? He's not playing anymore. He still plays sometimes with some friends of mine. Yeah. So it was stuff like that, right? It was, it wasn't anything like it was even all that necessary, right? It didn't impact my ability. I'm still looking at these guys and like these were guys who like arguably like I was better than at least half of these folks, right? And so because I, I was starting and some of them weren't. So I was better than they were as a player, and yet it still made me feel super insecure. And I think this is an important point. Sometimes, actually probably most of the time, the insecurity that we feel around what we don't know probably isn't all that instrumental to what we actually need to go and do next, right? That's a a really interesting point. Yeah, and I think that it was something that took some time to realize. It was like, okay, I could feel insecure about that, 
or I could not. And that's actually entirely my choice. Does that impact what I'm going to go do next? Am I going to pass the ball differently, receive the ball differently? Am I going to not start next game because I didn't know a contemporary soccer player at age 13? No, had no impact on the reality of my world as related to soccer. And very much the same in the founder space. There's so many times where we feel insecure or scared. For example, go back to your, your conversation with Sequoia. You didn't know what the term TAM was. And yet, had they asked you in more detail what they wanted to know, even if you didn't have it right there, you could have come up with something off the cuff that would have been a reasonable number for the market size, right? And so these are the things, but yet you probably walked out of there terrified and feeling awful because you didn't know that. And yet you knew the underlying principles, you had the data or could have easily gone and gotten it had you known that you needed it, right? If you'd known it was gonna be important, you would have had it. So this is so illustrative of so many things in the founder space that we go through where we have to really measure Yes, this matters. Yes, this is information. Yes, this is something I could know. Do I actually need to know it? And do I need to know it right now? And that that can save you from a lot of angst and stress around imposter syndrome. I think there's a, a there's an important part to that, though, which is at some point you go from, hey, I don't know what a pro forma is or, hey, I don't know how customer acquisition works or, hey, I don't know this certain type of leadership skill. Yep. Where, then you do know it. And that's why I was using the soccer analogy, because then you realize, oh, I know the game. I'm just not very fucking good at it. Yeah, well, th there's that. Yeah, there's that. Right? Like, th there is a threshold where at first the imposter syndrome comes from the fact that you don't know. But here's the important turn. Later on, as you know the tools, you recognize that, hey, the difference between me as a CFO, I'm also the CFO of startups.com, the difference of me as a CFO and the CFO of, say, Chase Bank, right? Or the CFO of like Tesla. It isn't even remotely close. Like we both understand what a pro forma is. I don't have their skills whatsoever, right? Nor would you want them to design a product or build a startup, right? Yeah. Yeah, but but now, you know, when I think about our finance, and I think we do a pretty good job with our finances, right? But when I think about our finance, there's an imposter syndrome version of me where I'm like, well, damn, what would Tesla CFO, how would they handle this differently? I don't know, right? I don't have any more experience. The problem is I know enough to know that they're way better at it than I am. Yep. I understand what makes you good and what makes you great. Let's break that down a little bit because we've also talked about how dangerous comparison is, right? And again, you need to be right enough. You do not need to be the CFO of Tesla to start your company, right? Oh, From yeah, a financial absolutely, perspective. Absolutely. And so that it's, it's yep. really important that we make sure that we've got these things level set a bit and that we're, you know, right tool for the right, the, the right outcome. Because I think that is a challenge for a lot of folks. They start to compare themselves to whatever the gold standard is when all they need is, you know, some copper shavings. Like we don't need much to get by in the early stages. But if we start to compare ourselves to something that's so far out of reach, I think we talked about this in another episode when I try to provide examples to people. I try not to use, like if I was going to teach somebody a jump shot, I wouldn't immediately compare it to LeBron James, right? Because they're so far from that, that they're not going to feel good about trying to achieve that. Or they may know that like, look, I am never going to achieve that level. So why even try? You try to give somebody like a few steps ahead. And so I think it's important as we start to think about what we need to grow our companies and not feel like an imposter what's the next level, not the end game. What's not, what's the, the final version of this. I don't need to be wizard of Oz level, but I need to be able to make some smoke appear when I want to, right? Like how do I get to that point and make sure that that's where I'm setting my expectations and setting my watermark for whether I'm good enough to do this or not. The answer is always, you are good enough to try. So try.
I was listening to this interview years and years ago, this super random reference here, but it was between Jason Calacanis and David Hanemeyer Hansen. And they were talking about mastery. David was saying, hey, I don't try to master anything. And the guy's like pretty damn talented, right? You know, he's a creator of Ruby on Rails. He's like, you know, at base camp and everything else like that. And he said... He's a race car driver. Yeah, he's a race car driver, right? You know, like he's done all these amazing things. And he said, I try to get my proficiency to be north of seven out of 10. He's like... Once I'm at seven, I'm proficient enough that I can do most of what I want to do. And the additional effort that's required to become more proficient than that is so exponentially high that it's sort of just not worth it. There's nothing that I stand to gain by that additional level of proficiency. And for some reason, that's always stuck with me. We go back to finance, right? I could spend a lot more time learning about finance. To be fair, I'm not sure it would do me any good whatsoever. But I feel like I know enough about it that if I need to know a little bit more, I have the tools now to build from. It's like I've gotten to a seven and a seven's good enough to do most of what I need to do. The Tesla, I you know, I actually have no idea who the CFO of Tesla is. I don't know why I keep referring to this person. They might be the worst CFO of all time, but let's assume they're good. They might be a 10, but I don't have any need for any of that knowledge, so I don't care. The reason this maps back to imposter syndrome is because when we're thinking about how we're not good enough at something, Perhaps what we should be thinking is, I just want to be proficient enough. I want to be maybe start with conversant. So when I talk to the tech team, I have an idea of, of what our base of technology is, right? Or what kind of, you know, what framework we're using, et cetera. Or when I talk to the marketing team, I understand what customer acquisition cost actually is and kind of how that works. I just want to have that proficiency. I think if, if we were to say, I'm not going to be great at everything. But I want to be a little bit better, you know, at the things that matter. I think that does take us to a stepping stone. You know what I mean? It does for sure. And I think it kind of it, it maps back to what I was saying around kind of knowing what it is you need to know, right? Like, and then figuring out what is that, what does that seven out of 10 look like? I think what seven out of 10 buys you is solutions to 80% of the problems that you would have or 80% of the needs you would have in that category and enough knowledge to ask an expert if you need additional help and to be conversant enough to know if they're full of shit or not, right? <laughs> so I think that's what it buys you, which is to say it buys you 100% of what you need with a lot less time, right? Pareto is always in effect. It probably takes you 20% of the time to get 80% of the knowledge that that Tesla CFO has. If they're a 10, getting to eight probably took 20% of the time that it took him or her. And so I think it's really important to kind of, again, level set these things and make sure, again, that you're, you're not picking up more knowledge than you need. If you were the Tesla CFO or had the same skill level at this point, we would have to question why you're doing what you're doing now, right? You should be doing that instead. Yep. Let me give you one more. And, and I'm almost going to call this the third level of graduation. If we've got freshmen, right? And I won't use freshman, sophomore, but if we have freshmen at the beginning, senior at sort of the end being like, you realize that you're at a seven, you know, you're kind of just, you're good enough to be good enough, right? The next level of veterancy, in my mind, from what I've seen, and I'm just starting to see this now in my own career, is just having been around long enough to know there's a lot of stuff you just can't know the answers to. I'll give you some examples. Ryan, you and I have been through the dot-com bust, the financial crisis, and whatever the hell we're about to call this next one, right? <laughs> yeah. The benefit of that, this is just straight up experience, is we know things are going to be wild. We know like markets are going to implode. We know weird shit's going to happen. But we also know what it looks like on the other side. We've just been around long enough that we know kind of how to see the whole thing through. We, can, we kind of know how the game is played. We know how long it takes. The reason I say that's kind of that next level is because it starts to take some of the imposter syndrome off. In other words, 
we're in a crap market right now. Guess what? Our business is not going to go well. Well, first time Will in 1999 would have been heretical about this. Like, you've got to be kidding. It'll be great forever. You know, never whatever. And then all of a sudden the market turns and I'm like horrified. Like, what the hell right. happened? Right. What happened? My yeah. whole world is shattered. What did I do wrong? Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oh my God. Right. I did. This. Now I'm like, ah, ah, it's about that time. It's about that time. Yes. Everything is going to get cleared out. Silicon Valley banks going to go to business. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah. The deficits and knowledge don't go away. You just no longer see them as endless abysses, right? It's no longer a pit that you would fall in and never stop falling. It's just a bump, right? You just cruise right past them at this point. I think it's just the relationship with how we feel about the deficits and knowledge or understanding that become different. That's a great way to put it. And, and what ends up happening is, whereas before, they were always an indictment on us. <laughs> yes. I ruined the agency because right. the dot-com... You know, Self-inflicted like, indictment, by the way, because no one else was thinking it, generally speaking. Right, right. And again, I'm the imposter once again. You know, I feel terrible. My security is busted because I don't have the maturity. And when I mean maturity, just being on the planet long enough. I don't have the maturity to be able to say, oh, this is how things happen. Kind of reminds me of like when a kid is like in freshman year of actual high school, they don't get asked to prom or, or you know, they're, they're freaked out and they're like, oh my God, you know, I'm the only person that didn't get asked or maybe I'm no. just projecting. Or, or your and entire so, class. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and then we realized that like our parents are laughing it off because they're like, this is just the way things go, right? But we've never seen it before. I think we've just got a few more miles on the planet, if you will, right? When we've been around long enough and we start to see these things where you've been through the startup game long enough and you see that startups, you know, take off and crash all the all time. The time. Yep. You know, whereas maybe the person going through it for the first time is like, I spent three years of my life and it's gone. Right. And it's so painful. And I'm like 30 years in, I'm like three, I, I can't even remember three consecutive years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Now, it's a blip at that point. Yeah. The difference is I've just been around longer. Right. And so I don't feel it like the imposter, like, oh my God, I, I F something up. I look at it going, oh yeah, it happens all the time. Right. And I think part of that, just being around long enough, starts to dissipate it as well, you know? For sure. Yeah. We just, again, we just stop reacting in the same way. Right. We don't let it get to us in the same way. You face the same challenge. Well, not the same challenge. You face new and different challenges, market shifts, technology shifts, you know, something else comes in, big competitor, financial crisis, I don't know, pandemic. Take your pick. There's a lot <laughs> yeah, of things right. that, that change the game. We just learn to change with it. We learn that that is the game, right? This isn't a finite game with a finite rule set where as long as you play according to the rules, you'll continue to do well or at least understand why you didn't. It's not like that at all, right? And the minute you can embrace that or at least not be overly bothered by it, you'll feel a lot better. You know, I think there, there, <laughs> there is a certain level of zen that enters the picture at some point where, you know, you do things just kind of let, let things roll off, right? Where it would have been something that would have scared the shit out of you, made you make rash decisions or question yourself. And now it's just kind of like, yeah, it is what it is, right? That's just how this goes. And while it's not awesome, it's just par for the course, right? Just got to keep moving. And it reminds me, we talked about this of, I think you and I, one of our favorite quotes from our friend, uh, Ernest Hemingway. He said, uh, we're all apprentices in a craft where no one ever becomes a master. And I think that's such a so powerful way to think about on. it. Because no matter how much time we've put into this, you know, as founders ourselves, as people who practice the craft of being founders and building startups, no one ever masters this. It constantly changes. And I think from our standpoint, from the folks listening, et cetera, we can't try to just like motor through. We got to chip away at it a little bit each day. And yet each day that goes by, we learn a little bit more. But what we really get is the fact that we can't master it all. And we just kind of get a little bit more zen like you talked about. And we just 
let it flow. So in addition to all the stuff related to founder groups, you've also got full access to everything on startups.com. That includes all of our education tracks, which will be funding, customer acquisition, even how to manage your monthly financers. There's so much stuff in there. All of our software, including BizPlan for putting together detailed business plans and financials, LaunchRock for attracting early customers, and of course, Fundable for attracting investment capital. When you log into the startups.com site, you'll find all of these resources available.